Well, good morning, church. I was going through um, some, some boxes in my attic the other day, and I found a box that my mom gave me a long time ago full of old pictures of me and all those little childhood things that for some reason moms keep, you know, pictures I drew and things like that. And I found a notebook from when I was in second grade. And apparently in second grade, every Monday during school, you had to write what you did that past weekend to practice your handwriting and your sentence structure. So I randomly opened it and I saw a page where I was talking about all the things I was thankful for that weekend. And it was the weekend of the Super Bowl. And I wrote in the binder that I was thankful that I got to eat downstairs. So apparently my mom was so strict about where we could eat dinner, but she allowed me to do it on Super Bowl Sunday on February 1st, 1999, that I became so excited and thankful that I actually wrote it down in my journal to share with my classmates. So I wanted to just publicly thank uh, my mom, Jill, for that. That was really encouraging to me. But it's kind of a small thing, but I was like, man, I I don't really get thankful about small things like that anymore. You know, I wish I was sometimes more like second grade Troy. And I came across another story that made me chuckle a little bit. It's about an old Scottish pastor named Andrew White, pastored several hundred years ago. And he was always known for being a very positive, thankful preacher. And he would pray every Sunday morning before a sermon. He'd always be positive, right? And it was a really gloomy day in Scotland one day. And one of his church members said, certainly the the preacher today, he's not going to be able to think of anything to thank the Lord for on this wretched Sunday. And the, and the preacher, Andrew White, stood up there and he, he started praying and he said, we thank you, O God, that it is not always like this. <laughs> and I just, I was encouraged by that. Thankfulness is important. Thankfulness is important because people who are thankful recognize that they don't deserve what they have. That we get all good and perfect things from God who is above whether it be small things like being able to eat in the basement or big things like your salvation, all good things come from God. Today, our our passage in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, begins, and, and and the theme of thankfulness runs throughout all of it, where Paul is thankful for a local church, the church of Corinth. And I think at times we get, we take for granted things that we get to participate in regularly. So that's even things like a church, that it can become just a routine and a rote thing for us. But I believe that this congregation, this gathering, the relationships, the people is one of the sweetest blessings of my life. And I would imagine of one of your lives. And I want to remain as thankful to God as we can for this place. And this passage is going to show us three ways that we can be thankful to God for our own local church. But let's first read this passage. So please turn to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 to 9. It's on, um, it's on page uh, 952 of those pew Bibles in front of you. Once you find that, would you please stand in reverence for the word of the Lord? I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless 
in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will help us grow in the knowledge and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning through this passage. Spirit, help us. Amen. You may be seated. Starting next week in, in, in verse 10, we're going to start looking at some of the specific topics and issues and problems in Corinth. And as we go week by week, we're going to see Paul correcting this local church from some of their behaviors. But right here again, Paul wants to make it clear that despite all of the headaches that this church causes Paul, all the ink he spills over trying to help them, he plainly says, I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. Verse 4 says, I give thanks to God always for you, the church, because of the grace of God that was given to you. Again, that you in verse 4 is the whole church in Corinth. Paul says, I thank God that you, church, have the grace of Jesus all over you. So each local church, each church that loves Jesus, no matter its issues or weaknesses, is a place to be thankful for because churches are places where God gives grace upon grace. So what happens here at CBC, what happens in our relationships, in our worship is sacred and it's unique and it's special. And God has such a unique blessing on the local churches. So I want to look at this passage with CBC in mind. Maybe you're visiting from out of town or you go to a different church. Hopefully you'll have your church in mind this morning and we will walk away more thankful for the grace that is in our local church. And this is the main point of these verses here in 1 Corinthians 1. The main point is CVBC, be thankful to God for he is rich in grace. Be thankful to God for he is rich in grace. Now this point is true for you. As an individual, you have your own blessings, you have your family, you have your things, work and house, all of this stuff. But Paul is saying to you as the church, you as the corporate body, we have riches of grace all around us and among us. And at times we, we kind of come in with a consumeristic mindset even to things like, like church, right? We compare this building to that church building or the ministries or the personality of the preacher or the type of music. And we look at some as doing better than others. And we slip into this mode of consumerism. What can I get from this church? But here, Paul kind of levels the playing field and says, if you are a church of Jesus Christ, you have bundles of grace among you. So be thankful. Yeah, you might prefer this or prefer that, prefer that preacher or that music or that ministry, but stop and start with the foundation that your church, because it's in Jesus, has grace all over it. Now, by grace, what we mean is the undeserved favor of God. So blessings and gifts that we don't deserve on our own, but God loves to lavish upon us, and churches have that grace. And there's three graces Three evidences of grace in our passage that we should be thankful for that we see in local churches. And here's the first one. We should be thankful because by His grace, we have spiritual gifts. It's the first thing mentioned here of thankfulness, spiritual gifts. Look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you 
because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 5 says the phrase enriched in Jesus. We don't use that phrase enriched much, but that means that in Jesus, through Jesus, because of Jesus, the church is given riches. Now, what are these riches? Well, verse 7 clarifies those riches are gifts, spiritual gifts. Now, that sounds a bit weird. We're used to gifts being something tangible you open right on Christmas or your birthday. You have your wish list on Amazon, things that you can purchase and receive or give to somebody else. But what is a spiritual gift? We get to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to see a lot about these, but these spiritual gifts, there are lists of them like hospitality and preaching and evangelism and encouragement. These are specific spiritual uh, giftings or ministries or abilities that God gives to individuals for the benefit of the church as a whole. There are certain things that God gives us. We'll look at them in length in chapter 12, but here in chapter 1, Paul is laying the foundation, says any gift you have, any special Christian knowledge you have or maturity, expertise you have, you have it in Jesus. You don't have it because you're a better Christian. You don't have it because you are more um, skilled. No, you have it because Jesus has given it to you. It says in verse 5, we are made rich in spiritual gifts in him. That phrase, in him, is always so important in the Bible. All of your spiritual acumen and ability and knowledge is a gift of grace from God. We have no reason ever to brag as Christians, right? Any ability that an elder here has to teach or preach is not inherent to us, but it's in Jesus. Any musical ability or leadership you see here on stage is not from them, but from Jesus. If you are good at helping people or serving people, or you have an eye for people's needs, that comes from Jesus. All of our abilities and ministries and spiritual gifts are rooted in him and come from him and are for him. And there are tons of spiritual gifts that Paul could have mentioned, right? He'll mention them later in chapter 12, like preaching or teaching or leadership or hospitality. But the the spiritual gifts he mentions here in verse 5 seem a little strange to us. He mentions the one speech and knowledge. Speech and knowledge. What does he mean by that? Well, we're going to see in chapter 12 and 14 that two of the spiritual gifts that were so prominent and public And a lot of attention was on were these two, speech and knowledge. The word knowledge is also the word that we often talk about with prophecy. And with speech, we could look at speaking in tongues. So as we get through this book, we're going to see that this church at Corinth was so about prophecy and getting new revelation. And they were about speaking in tongues. And it became such a boiling point for the church that they began to abuse and not use these gifts properly became a moment of pride for them. They would begin to brag and say, our church has this stuff. What does your church have? Or inside, they would be competing over spiritual gifts, over speech, over speaking in tongues, over knowledge, over prophecy. They believed they were superior to others if they had these gifts. At this time in the first century, people often would be entertained by going into the city and sitting in an amphitheater and hearing teachers and philosophers talking for two, three hours at a time, right? We do this 
we, the way that we spend our probably two or three hours is by watching Netflix. It's a little different. But they became so engrossed in their culture of philosophy and teaching and instruction that they brought that prideful identity into the church and said, we're so great because we speak this way. We're so great. We have this knowledge and this wisdom. And they thought they were all of that in a bag of chips. So Paul here, before he gets to the specifics, says, hey, church, that wisdom you have, the ability to speak so eloquently, your speaking in tongues, your interpretation, everything that you have, that's not because you're great. It's because you have what you need in Jesus. You can only do those things because you're in Christ. So friends, the, the things that we do for our church or to serve other Christians or people should never be points of bragging. All that we have and all that we are is in Christ. It would seem ridiculous if, if someone began to brag because they received an inheritance of money, right? If someone's great-great-uncle leaves them a billion dollars and they go around bragging about it, they would look foolish because they did nothing to deserve it. They didn't work for it. They just inherited it. It's a gift. Same with us in spiritual gifts. We receive it with thankfulness and use it for the glory of God and for the church, when we get to the chapters later on in chapter 12, we're going to begin to look more closely at what these spiritual gifts are. How do we know what gifts we have? But overall, what Paul is laying the foundation here for is that the church is not a place for platforms or pride or self. Right? I have the temptation every week when I preach, or anyone who preaches here has a temptation every week when we are walking up here to preach what we want to preach to make it about us and my words and my opinions, right? From walking to the front seat up to here, the prayer that I have to remind myself to pray is, you know, Jesus, you increase, help me decrease. Because you can easily make this about yourself. Pride can seep in, right? Our whole culture is about people becoming influencers, right? Whatever that means, right? Social media influencers and here's my way. And if you do this and follow me, you'll have a great life. And that can creep into even Christian things, can it? Christianity is not a brand, right? It's not a platform. Christianity is a life of submission to Jesus where we, when we preach or teach or anyone's on stage and we're singing or we're serving in the nursery or we're cleaning up a mess at church, what's the point? It's Jesus. We are instruments who make Jesus shine brighter. We are to put a spotlight on Jesus. It's not about a personality or a platform but Jesus, any ability we have is because of Jesus. So he is the point. So even the good things we have come from him. So we need to begin by thinking here in 1 Corinthians, before we get to all the specifics, that church is not about us, but about Christ and other people. And verse 7 is really important too. Verse 7, Paul writes, that as we continue to live on this earth, waiting for Jesus to return, that we have everything we need. It says, you are not lacking in any gift. CBBC, what this means is that we have everything we need right here to glorify God and love each other. We have everything we need. God has equipped us all differently and on purpose so that together we have everything we need to live out our holiness and to mature together. So I think there's a couple quick applications here from this text about spiritual gifts. Firstly, we should be thankful. That's the first application. We should be thankful 
that God has gifted each one of us and gifted our church with so much talent and abilities and ministries. Now, you may have no idea how God has gifted you spiritually. You might be like, I want to know what I have, and we'll get to that point. But if you serve this church, we want to thank you. We want to thank you. If you teach, we praise God for you. If you sit on the floor and let kids and babies crawl all over you, we praise God for you. Right? If you clean nursery toys, or you unload the truck for Ruby's pantry, or you print bulletins, or you check in on families, or you write our missionaries, or you lead small groups, or you play on the worship team, or run the slides or the soundboard, or you play with kids outside, or you make lemonade for our outdoor services. If you serve this church with any strength, any time, any ability, any desire, our church is blessed by you and strengthened by you and encouraged by you. So we thank you. You make our church whole. You make our church our church. And you are proof that verse 7 is true, that we are not lacking in any gift because you are here serving and using what God has given you for the church. And that's pretty cool. But the second application is kind of the opposite, that if, if you're not serving your church, wherever your church is, that meant, doesn't just hurt your own personal growth, but it also hurts the church. It's not a threat or anything, but we are a body made up of different parts, and when one part is not functioning, the rest of the part is affected. So serving and, and using spiritual gifts is hard because it requires sacrifice, requires us putting ourselves on the back burner, Right? You might have to sit in nursery instead of coming into the service when you want to. You might have to rearrange your schedule. You might have to rush here after work on a Wednesday night. It takes energy and time, and yet it is spiritual worship. Right? So if you're not serving, you're missing out, but also we are missing out. We're lacking your ability and your desires and your personality and your energy and what God has made you to be. We're missing out on that. And this is not you know, community service. This is the church. Right? Our, our giftings, our knowledge, our personalities are not primarily ours, but they belong to Jesus. And what does Jesus love the most? He loves his church, the bride. So we thank God by his grace that he has blessed us with gifts so that we have everything we need to live together until Jesus returns. So if you are ever wondering, hey, what do I do as I wait for the end of the world? I know you all wondered that. Verse 7 tells us, you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do when you wait for Jesus to be revealed? You live with your spiritual gifts on display for his glory and for the church. So by his grace, we have giftings. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians knowing he's going to critique them for abusing their gifts and treating their gifts with pride. But he says right here in the beginning, slow down. Remember, these gifts come from Jesus. You are enriched. You are gifted in him. So praise him that he gives you good gifts. Second thing to be thankful to God for from this passage, by his grace, we will persevere. By his grace, we will persevere. Paul goes from thanking Jesus for gifts to then thanking Jesus for holding the church tightly in his grip and not letting go. That's what we mean by perseverance here, that no matter what happens, we will endure in the faith and endure as the bride of Christ. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sustained to the end. 
Paul continues to thank God for his grace, for his undeserved grace that through all of our life and into eternity, we will be held firmly in the loving grip of God. To be, secu- to be sustained means to be secured. If you are a Christian, you belong to the church of God and will be carried by Jesus himself into eternity. But to give even more clarity in verse 8, Paul says we'll be guiltless. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Bible often uses the, word, the phrase in the day, it means the day of judgment in the future where all humans from all history will come before the throne of God and will be judged according to what they have done and not done. And if you are a Christian, if you're in Christ, that is not a day for you to tremble in fear because you will be declared guiltless by Jesus. The New Testament in Colossians 1.22 or Ephesians 5.23 or 1 Thessalonians 3.23 all talk about how Jesus died for the church for the reason of presenting the church holy and blameless and without stain or blemish. So Jesus' death on the cross for our sins, for our wickedness, for our weaknesses accomplished his purpose that we as the church are blameless and guiltless and holy. What Jesus accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago is what will carry the church into eternity. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hell itself cannot take you from the hand of God. So our salvation Our hope, our eternal home will always be ours. That doesn't mean that our church or any other church will never have to close its doors. That happens, unfortunately. I pray it doesn't happen. But what that means is that we as a holy people, as the bride of Christ, will be saved forever because Jesus never goes back on his word. We have an eternal security in Christ, an identity that even Satan, the most powerful enemy, cannot touch. And Paul writes that here in the beginning, because as we're going to see, this church at Corinth was was plagued by terrible sinful behaviors, division and pride, sexual immorality, a lack of love. They kind of mess with some pagan idolatry. It's a messed up church. And Paul says, despite all of your sin and your behaviors that need to be corrected, Jesus is going to present you guiltless in heaven. Paul's reminding the church that even the worst sin of the church is not as powerful as the grace of God. That church division in chapter 3 we're going to read about can't take away the grip of God on the church. That pagan idolatry in chapter 8 can't trump the grace of Jesus. That sexual sin in chapter 6 cannot remove the delight of God from the church. Church, we are in Christ and nothing can take Christ from us. We will be delivered guiltless by Jesus to God the Father. He will carry us and say, they are yours, God, blameless and righteous because they believe in me. That's what the cross and the resurrection, that's what the gospel did for us. That despite our past, despite our current sin, despite our future sin, Jesus carries us to the end if we are in Christ. That is grace. If you stop paying your bills, your utilities will be shut off, right? If you break a contract, there'll be a penalty. You'll lose out on the benefits. We understand that if we don't keep our end of the bargain in life, there will be consequences. 
But with Jesus, we can never lose the benefits of salvation. And we will not keep our end of the bargain. We will sin, we will fall short. And yet Jesus doesn't drop us. He doesn't find a new client. He doesn't turn to somebody else. No, we are his forever. And he delights in holding us and sustaining us even when we sin. We will persevere if we are in Christ. I think this is so important for us to have this seep into our hearts. Because at times we might feel discouraged even as the church. Whether it be our church, CVBC, or the global church. We may feel like the gospel is not reaching out to those it needs to reach out to. We might think, oh, I wish our church would progress in this area and do better here or grow in numbers. Maybe we get discouraged by internal church conflict or problems. Right? Churches are full of real people, which means churches are full of real problems. And in these difficult, discouraging seasons, will we fall back on the truth that Jesus will hold us and carry us even despite these obstacles? That even if we sin, even if our ministry ideas fail, even if a Christian leader who's famous turns his back on the faith, even if our evangelism doesn't convert people, guess what? Jesus will sustain his church till the end. Our salvation, our hope, our future is not dependent on how successful our church is or how moral we are, how many ministries we have, or how many people we convert in a year. Our salvation and our hope and our future is dependent on what Jesus has already done in the past. That secures our victory. And we've endured tough times in our almost 90 years of history at CVBC. Even lately, we've had tough issues, real things to work through and heal from. And yet, I thank God that in this church, there's never a doubt that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus sustains the gospel. Even when we slip up or we have conflict or we have division, Jesus carries his church to the end. It's his church and we're dependent on him. Our church will not continue because of any one of us or because of our ministries, or because of our preaching, or our music, or anything that we do, it will persevere because we are in Jesus. No obstacles can take the delight or the love of Jesus away from his church, no matter how hard it gets. I've been to some, uh, you know, camps and on vacations, done some high ropes courses, right, where you, you get up on a platform, you climb up a ladder, you get up and you're kind of harnessed in, and you're walking across a wooden beam. I know some of you really hate heights, but hang on to it for a second here. You're, you're walking across this beam, and you're kind of tiptoeing one foot in front of the other, maybe losing your balance at times, putting your arms out. Maybe there's an obstacle you have to step over, but what often happens is someone slips. Someone stumbles over the obstacle, and there you are hanging, and though maybe it's scary, guess what? There's that harness holding on to you. You might have tripped over your own feet. You might have tripped over an obstacle. You might have just lost your balance. But no matter what, that harness is going to hold you tight and secure and safe. The Christian life and being part of a church like ours is full of obstacles. It's full of troubles and difficulties and sin. And it's unfortunate, but it's true. But yet there is Jesus like a safety harness holding us secure from falling down. 
That is grace. We in ourselves cannot make the church fail. We can't make the church lose its holiness because the church belongs to Jesus. And even if we try to mess it up or it gets difficult, there is Jesus carrying us guiltless to the other side. Yes, there's times we need to do better and repent and do ministry more excellently, but also we can fall back on the grace of Jesus. Because of Jesus calling us to persevere and be sustained, that should actually free us up to boldly obey. The fact that you know that Jesus is going to carry you to eternity should unleash us to be real disciples in this world, that we should evangelize and share the gospel even when it's difficult because we know the end result is we will be carried into eternity guiltless and approved. We should give up our time and our money and our schedules to serve and obey for the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus will sustain us to the end even if it gets difficult. We should feel free to live out our authentic life as a church because there is Jesus surrounding us and supporting us and protecting us, leading us to him. We cannot out sin or mess up the grace of God. We can't fall out of the grips of Jesus. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ forever. So church, we should be thankful to this, that his love is eternal. What grace. So as this church in Corinth will hear and read of their sin and foolish behavior, yes, they're going to need to change and repent, but they're also going to find encouragement that knowing that despite that sin, Jesus still holds them tight and they will persevere to the end. Thank Jesus for this. But the third and final thing that we should be thankful for is that by his grace, we have fellowship. By his grace, we have fellowship. It's in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, says, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, looking back, we could have preached like three sermons on this one verse in verse Verse 9, but then I think we'd still want more after that. But let me give you like the six-minute version here. This says, Paul is thankful that our faithful God has brought us into fellowship. Now, this, this word fellowship is a Christian word we use all the time, and maybe we don't use it 100% properly. We think it just means Christians who do stuff together, which is half true. The word fellowship actually literally means covenant participation. Very churchy, theological, boring phrase, right? Covenant participation. But what that means is that fellowship is not just Christians hanging out. It's Christians who come together knowing that they are participating in Jesus together. So what happens on Sundays, right? When we come together to sing out to Jesus together, making Jesus the focus, that's fellowship. Happens when you go to a a Christian's house and you bring Jesus to them, or you meet for coffee and bring them to the throne room of Jesus in prayer. That's fellowship. It's participating in the things of Jesus together. So Christian fellowship has two aspects of it, a vertical and a horizontal. Okay, when you become a Christian, you become, uh, you have fellowship with God. God makes a covenant, a promise to you that he won't break. He's brought you into a relationship with him. So that's the vertical aspect. He has committed himself to you, and he, as verse 9 says, is a faithful partner in that covenant to you. That's one of the reasons why God often uses the the analogy of marriage to talk about the gospel. 
When we become a Christian, we join the church, become part of the church, the bride of Christ. And just how at a wedding, a a husband and a wife make oaths and a covenant together. When we become a Christian, God makes a covenant with us and he gives us his ring to show us his faithfulness. And we have fellowship and relationship and friendship with God forever because he is our faithful partner. So we have fellowship with God. We become one with God. It's vertical. But the other part is horizontal. When God saves us and he makes a covenant with us, he also saves us to covenant with other people. Now, we often say other people are the problem, right? But there's no such thing as just having a vertical relationship with God. When God saves us, he saves us into a community. So you have to have both because there's no option in the Bible for a Christian to be alone. And that's because God himself, what makes God God? There's a lot of things, but one of the things that makes God God is that he is a relational being. Okay, we call this the word Trinity, triune, right? One God, but three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what were they doing before they created us? Were they bored and they needed us? No, they in themselves have all the love and the delight and the happiness with each other. The Father was loving the Son, who was loving the Spirit, who was loving the Father. They were in community and in friendship together. And then they make us. They make us to be in their image, which means a lot of things, but one of the major things it means is that they made us to be in relationships with other people. So that's why when God makes us, right, in Genesis 1, it's Adam and Eve, and then when you get to the New Testament, you see this church pop up. You see the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. God wants us to be around other people worshiping him. That's how he made us to be, and Jesus died for us that we may be in a church, right? That's why Kind of it bothers me sometimes when I hear people say, okay, we get to go do church today. It's like, no, you don't do church like it's an activity. It's who you are. You are saved into the global church. It's not an accessory. You don't do the church. You are the church. If God is relational, we are to be relational too. I know many of you are introverts. I'm not saying you have to be bubbly and energetic and things, but you are saved to be into a community. So what we're doing right now, this gathering for the sake of Christ is is fellowship. It's honoring God. It's coming shoulder to shoulder to praise God, to participate in worship. This is fellowship where we can be the bride of Christ together, the church. So it's completely against the definition of Christianity for us to try to live a Christian life alone. If you try to obey the New Testament, how do you forgive someone if there's no one else with you, for example? If we're called to sing out to the congregation, that's more than just you. How do you love your neighbor if you have no Christian neighbor, right? We are called to live this out together. That's why there's no, you know, castaway version of Christianity. Do you remember that movie? We paid $10 to watch a man like become crazy on an island by himself where he became so alone that a volleyball became his best friend, right? We don't want that spiritually, We were saved to be in fellowship with God and with God's bride, the church. Ephesians makes that clear. As we go through 1 Corinthians, it makes it clear. Churchless Christianity is not true Christianity. Jesus laid his life down for the church, his bride. So if we try to live our life as if the church doesn't matter, then we're trying to reverse what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Now this concept of fellowship, of participating with other Christians and vertically worshiping God together 
it kind of goes against so much of our culture these days, I think. Because our, our country is so fixated on the individual, which at times makes life really convenient. The fact that you can file your own taxes on your own time, on your own computer by yourself is sometimes helpful. Right? But even when you are at home watching Netflix, you can put Netflix on, on one TV so you can watch what you want and you can get the kids' account set up downstairs so you never have to watch shows together. Right? Individualism creeps into our life and unfortunately it's creeping more into our Christian and church lives. And I think when we think that listening to a sermon while we're driving to work is the same thing as going to church, I think we're in danger of this. Right, when we think that fishing or golfing or that hobby is our church, I think we are in danger because the church is what? It's a community of people who come together in a real place at a real time to look to Jesus together. And God has structured it to happen in person where we sing, we take the Lord's Supper, we have sermons, we have elders, we have deacons, we have congregation. That's what makes a church a church. And you're wondering, like, why am I saying this? You guys are here at church. Like, why am I preaching that this? Because if you're like me, there's times where you don't want to go to church or you need the reminder about what the importance of this is because this becomes rote or routine and a task. Because we wake up thinking, man, I don't, I don't want to go to church. I was up late last night. I've had a busy weekend. I just need some me time. And we think, okay, I don't feel like going. I'll just watch it from home today. You know, that's fine. But what if instead of thinking that you thought, well, what about the church that Jesus called me to? Do they want me or need me here today? And the answer is absolutely. You're part of our body. You make us whole. You make us CVBC. And it's hard to put words to. It's hard sometimes to feel. But right now, in this moment, as we gather as God's people, he is so present with us in this fellowship. So uniquely present with us. He's so for what we're doing. He loves us singing and us shaking hands. He loves us weeping and rejoicing together, sitting under the word. He is so for us. He is so happy and he's blessing this. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to encourage you, build us up. There is something sacred going on here and we don't want anyone missing out on this. God has made us into a relationship with him. He's brought fellowship to us and now he brings us fellowship with other people. It's a gift of grace and God is faithful to us and now we get to reflect the faithfulness of God to each other in our church ministries. How God has committed his faithfulness to us, we can commit our faithfulness to the church, his bride, so we can be welcoming and forgiving and accepting and full of grace to each other. Even if you don't know each other's names, you can commit to loving each other and being graceful and forgiving because God is for you, we are for you. So we get to participate together in the things of Jesus. And Paul is, is thankful here overall, and I pray that we are too, that Maybe something from this passage stood out to you and you feel the grace of God. Now, I encourage you to look at this passage again. Maybe you pray this and maybe there's someone you know, sitting near you or someone in your life who has pointed you to Jesus or encouraged you or loves you well. I pray that you will, first of all, pray for them and pray to God, thanking God for them. But maybe you can send them a note. Maybe you call them. And pray this verse for them because God gives us each other and spiritual gifts and experiences and relationships so that we can see Jesus more clearly. 
We have so much to be thankful for as Christians, and these are just three of the things. I pray that we walk away here knowing that the grace of Jesus is all upon what we are doing. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you always because your grace was given to us in your son, Jesus. We praise you that in your son, Jesus, God, we have salvation, we have a relationship with you, we have fellowship, but we also have each other. And you've blessed us all differently so that we can bless you together in unison. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his salvation, the hope, the perseverance we have in him. And I pray that we all sense in our souls today the grace of Jesus and that we are thankful and we rejoice. Jesus, we love you. And in your name we pray, amen.